Well, hello. It's good to see some of you here who were here yesterday and to see others who were not here yesterday and to pray for those folk who came and decided not to come again. <laughs> My little children, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, and so we are. A bird, word about the author John, who wrote this epistle. As you might rightly surmise, this is none other than the beloved disciple John who sat by Jesus at the Last Supper. He was the only disciple who made it to Calvary. The rest of them had gone their way out of fear and apprehension for their own safety. John accompanied Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a few other women who watched with tearful eyes and beaten down spirits as the son and savior of the world lie dying on an old rugged cross at Calvary. This is the same John to whom Jesus gave a very personal charge from the cross. Take my mother home. Jesus looked at the two of them, Mary and the mother and John, his beloved disciple, and he gives his mother to John and John to Mary. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And the Bible declares that without a moment's hesitation from that time on, John took Jesus' mother into his own house and cared for her until her death. I'm introducing the writer of this epistle. This is the same John who probably lived in Ephesus, who probably wrote the book of the Revelation of John on the island of Patmos when he was exiled there. But the interesting thing that I want to open up today and lift before you is that John was the last disciple of the Twelve to die. He may have died not of violent causes, as many of the other 11 did, but perhaps of natural causes. In fact, he may have died in his own bed. John was a quiet, loyal, devoted disciple, not the bold and daring impulsiveness of Peter possessed him. John was a caretaker. That's the reason the mother of Jesus was given to him, a nurturer. And that is the reason he was probably the oldest Christian who lived because he had to stay alive until Mary died. He also shared deep reflections about the love of Jesus Christ. He could legitimately call us all the children of God. My little children, my little children. Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are, and so we are. But I like the translation that talks about my little children. In the New Revised Standard Version, it says, See what love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We think of this for the next few moments. As I read these words, 
from the senior most disciple, I thought about the fact that he calls us little children. That made my mind flash to my three children and six grandchildren. I took my son when he was four years of age with me on a speaking engagement in West Virginia. And when we got to the place, the pastor took us out to dinner, a very high-class restaurant that he was not used to, nor was I. When we got there, my son, however, remembered what he enjoyed most, and the host pastor made the mistake of saying, what do you want from this menu? Now, we had gone to Red Lobster before, and he had the unmitigated gall to say, I want to know how is your lobster. I cringed. My little boy, a little child, saying that, and I kicked him and told him I'm not going to take you anymore if you make that kind of mistake. Well, that's how we are, isn't it? We as adults pray like children. We say things that we want. We don't care whether or not they can be afforded. We don't care whether or not they are available to us. But we think that our parents can supply all of our needs, that all we have to do is just ask for it. We've got the nerve as adults to ask God for anything and everything on heart's desire. There's one preacher on the air who says, if you want a parking place, ask God for that. And a whole lot of trivia is raised before the throne of the almighty God who died for us to live as we think of the little things that we want. It was Reverend George MacLeod, who was an outstanding preacher and lived in Scotland in the 19th century, who made a very favorable impression upon C.S. Lewis. MacDonald leads us to believe that God must somehow and sometimes shake his head when he hears our prayers and says, my little children, my little children, will you ever come to grips with what life is all about? It is not about satisfying your whims, but it is about taking care of the needs of the world, your needs and the needs of your brothers and sisters. MacDonald said that some people pray that God will give them things. Listen to him. He says, some say that thou their endless love has won by deeds for them, which I may not believe thou ever didst or ever willest done. What matter? So they love thee. They receive eternal more than the poor loom and will of their own inventions ever wove and spun. I love thee. I must from head to foot. And then Dr. Rogus, also commenting on this, said many times in our prayers, we merely lean on God. We don't say we're going to do anything, but we believe that he will take us through. And often we don't try to deal with the problems at hand with the gifts that he has given us. But Rogus points out that it is true. There are no limits to what we can pray for. Therefore, what can we do? We are not really to be bothered by the fact that very often our prayers seem selfish. In any event, 
when we find our keys, we thank God, and that's enough. My little children, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Well, God is, after all, the giver of all good, and recovering one's keys may not be a major good compared to Jesus dying on the cross to redeem us from sins. But even so, so-called trivia of life are a part of the great package of blessing that God gives us. But more importantly, let us remember that if the keys are lost and never found, however long and hard we pray, the true wonderful gift of this season is the gift of forgiveness and life in God through Jesus Christ. We will never lose that. We may lose our keys, but we never lose the God who forgives and gives us life. He is always available, but we have to want him. We have to seek him. The love of God is wonderful and it is complete. Now, allow me to say that there are some times when we pray and the prayer is not answered where we would wish to have it answered. I had a personal experience since meeting with you yesterday. A funeral has been planned for Good Friday at Ebenezer Church. I'm going to be involved in it, but then a relative died subsequent to that, and we are going to go from here to make those arrangements. We might pray that a friend might arrive safely at his destination, but there is an accident and he is killed and maybe at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. We pray that our marriage will hold together, but it falls apart. And in pain, we go our separate ways. We pray that the plant will not close, but it does. And we lose our jobs. These are bigger issues than the loss of keys. And prayer sometimes seems to fail us here. But it is in these heavy moments, a friend dying suddenly, the loss of a job, the disillusion of a marriage, it is in these heavy moments that we fall back on the unchanging guarantee of God's love, which we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. For in the cross, we know he loves us. No matter what happens in variables of life, he loves us because he died for us. No greater love, no greater love than this have we. And so we respond to him. We love him, not because of read covering our keys, but because he reclaims us in his love, even though we are not deserving. No greater love has been given that a man lay down his life for his friends. Continue in my love. That's the challenge. It's all right to receive my love, but pass it on to somebody. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you to respond to my great love for you. My little children, see what love the Father has given us. And we should be called the children of God. What have I said? After the resurrection, the teaching of the twelve went on, and all of them were probably executed, eleven of them, forced to die suddenly and violently. But this was not true of the fate of John. He was the oldest of all of the disciples. 
She was probably the last one to die, not violently, but in the hands of Jesus Christ. It's more probable that he died of natural causes in sweet repose. For you see, John was physically tired because he died in bed in sweet repose, but he was also the oldest of the original 12. And so he could rightly call all, all of us as my little children. You came to Jesus after I did. My little children, I sat by him at the Lord's Supper. My little children, I spoke to him. My little children, I asked him who was going to betray him. And he told me the person who dips the bread in the cup when I do will be my betrayer. You see, John's life had to be extended because he was given that great charge, wasn't he? From the cross of Jesus Christ, he was asked to care for Mary until she passed away. And we don't know how long that was, but John did it. He and his family were wonderful caregivers to Mary. And you know the kind of schedule that can be brought to us when we are caring to some, for somebody else. It is a limiting, rough endurance that we must bear. Very often, it's harder to be a caregiver than to be ill because of the sweat that must be given. He was the oldest of the 12 and could rightly call us our children. Fast forward. You remember my little boy? He thought he could fulfill his request and ask God for anything he wanted. When we adults pray like that. We just lean on the Lord for everything. We want or we need, and often we stop trying ourselves. But God puts no limit on what we can ask for. But certainly we know that we ought to be willing to limit ourselves. In the newness of life, that's the way we find the strength that we need. In the newness of life that is fruit of the baptism. You see, now we baptize in the Baptist church slightly differently than you do here. I know you sprinkle water on the heads of children. But I have so many people, or had them at Ebenezer, who were wrong. A little drop of water would not cure them. They might have starched shirts, but there was still a ring around the collar. And they still had dirt that needed to be moved. And so following the words of Paul, we put them all the way under the water so that symbolically the old life may be taken away and they may come forward in the new life that is Christ Jesus. When Nicodemus came and found out that he had to be born again, he didn't know that it had to do with baptism. That if you're going to live in the newness of life, you have to be washed of your sins and you have to continue in his love. They tell me that shepherds in their fields in the Holy Land have rough-hewn places where they put the sheep. These are sheep folds, sheep pens. But then it says that the mouth of the fold is just long enough to allow the shepherd to lie across it. That means if one of the little sheep who forgets the love of the shepherd for them, if one tries to get out, 
he cannot get out without stepping on the shepherd. God so loved the world that he laid down his life so that when we forget the cost of our salvation, we may remember that when we do wrong, we not only hurt ourselves, but we trample on Jesus the Christ.